0: song for our theme this year. How beautiful was that? Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. The series is called Let's Go Change the World, and the sermon is called Rescued from Certain Death. Again! So last week the sermon was Rescued from Certain Death. In fact, every single sermon for the rest of the book of Acts can be entitled Rescued from Certain Death, part 5, 6, 7, 8. And the entire sermon today, in two words, is trust God. Trust God. And I know that many of you and me, we're struggling to trust God. There's something in your life right now that is making it hard for you to trust God. Maybe there are many things in your life right now that are making it hard for you to trust God. Parents are having a hard time trusting God when they are struggling to raise their children together and couples are having a hard time trusting God when there are problems in their marriage that maybe aren't getting fixed. Singles are having a hard time trusting God, battling loneliness, big decisions. People who have health issues are struggling to trust God, especially when you can't get clear answers. College students and high school students are struggling to trust God with anxiety, social pressure. Wondering how they can fit in, yet trying to stand out for the Lord. Those who have walked with Christ for a long time often lament that they still don't trust God like they would like to. We're gonna learn how to trust God, and we're gonna learn from all of Paul's many woes. I have a chart here that I showed you last week of Paul's many woes. This is his map to Rome. Now, remember, God promised to get Paul safely to Rome. Jesus appeared to him. You must testify about me in Rome. Let's figure out where we're at. I've got my laser pointer. I lost my super-duper bright green one, so if it hurt your eyes, you're in luck today. I just have this little red one here. Uh, but that, we already had the mob attack in the temple, check. Paul was almost tortured by Romans, check. Sanhedrin trial ended in chaos, check. Forty assassins planned to kill him, check. Stealth night. Military transfer. Done. Hearing before Governor Felix. Over. Private meetings with Felix and Drusilla. Done. Now here's where we're at right now. Paul's case was delayed two years and left for Governor Festus. The rulers are going to plan to ambush Paul again. Festus is going to offer him a crooked retrial. Paul will appear to Caesar. Then we will begin the hearing before King Agrippa II. Coming next will be he will be lost at sea then a shipwreck then roman soldiers will try to kill him on the shipwreck then he'll be marooned on malta there'll be a fatal snake bite that he'll survive then and only then will he safely arrive at rome now folks god is going to show you that he can take perfect care of you through his protection of paul because of that you can trust god Let's pray. Father, I know there are many here today who are struggling to trust you. They feel like they can't trust you. Maybe you've let them down in the past. Maybe the present is just just full of clamor and drama and fear and anxiety, or maybe it's the future that's coming, and they dread what's around the next bend. Lord, whatever it is that's causing us to struggle to trust you, Show us today that we can always trust God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Acts 25, are you there? Amen. Acts 25. This section of scripture is very long narrative, so you'll find us you know, coasting along good, significant chunks of the scripture and then reflecting on them, that's the passages that we're in. So in Acts 25, leading in, it says in verse 27 of chapter 26, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Two-year delay. He was already declared not guilty. He's still in jail. Turns out it's the safest place to be. Because remember, there were over 40 guys who took a hunger strike. We're not going to eat until we kill Paul. They're probably skin and bones two years later, am I right? All right, so chapter 25. Now, three days after Festus, this is the new governor of the whole, all of Israel, had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. So this is not over. Two years have passed. New governor in charge of all Israel comes to town, meets with the key, wicked, corrupt, rulers, the high priests. And like item number one is... There's a prisoner in Caesarea we would like you to retransfer back here. We got big problems with him. Do us a favor, will ya? Wow. How corrupt and wicked can these rulers get? It says in verse 4, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Good job, Festus. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, "'Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense.'" But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. First thing you can write down is this, God protected Paul in jail. God protected Paul in jail. Jail was the safest place Paul could be, his prison ministry continued. He's writing books of the Bible in jail, chained to a Roman soldier. We remember last week that Paul was escorted with about 500 troops out of Jerusalem where they wanted to kill him and ambush him, just to get him safely into jail. Here's a picture again that we showed last week of Roman soldiers escorting him out. And the 5 imagine 500 soldiers escorting you to your place in jail. That was God protecting Paul. Paul continues to be protected by God because God is awesome. Festus is now governor of all Israel. He's like a king and You might miss this, but Festus actually outranks the king. So Festus is the Roman governor over the whole land. The king is actually under the governor. So keep that straight. However, they work together. They watch each other's backs. Their main goal is to keep peace so Rome doesn't come down on either of them. But when push comes to shove, Rome will rule. So the king is under the authority of the governor, and so are the high priests and everybody else. So Felix last week and Festus this week has tremendous power over the entire land. He also, Felix got relocated, called back to Rome because he messed up handling some uprisings. So you can lose your job in a heartbeat if you're the governor. So all of these political maneuverings play into Paul's uh, prison time. And I want you to see that God protected Paul in jail, first under Felix, now under Festus. Write this down. The rulers tried to ambush him again. The rulers tried to ambush him again. I do like the thought of these guys who took this this dumb hunger strike. You know, wives, you don't have to amen, but sometimes your husband do things and you're like, "You did what?" All right. We're going to kill Paul. We're not going to eat until we kill Paul. What are you talking about? You get upset when you don't eat lunch. You're going to just not eat? Yeah, we're going to not eat until we kill Paul. Ugh. Oh, great. Two years later, how's that going? Right? Good job hitting your diet goals, guys. And I am just imagining they probably, see, the priest got him out of this wicked oath, rash oath. However they did it, they got him out of it. But now, these guys, are back. Well, now there's a new governor. Let's get him transferred back, and we're going to go on hunger strike again. We're going to get the job done this time. Hey, would you sleep at night if 40 people were plotting to kill you on your way to work tomorrow? Would you sleep well tonight? Forty people. Do you realize it's certain death? If they transfer him, he's a dead man. You realize that? God protected Paul. The rulers tried to ambush him again. Remember what's at stake? Really what's happening is the rulers are on trial in heaven. Okay, And they keep giving more evidence of how wicked they are and in AD 70, we're, we're around 60 right now. In AD 70, Rome is going to destroy Jerusalem. Here's a picture, a painting of the siege of Jerusalem. Okay, this, this is what's coming because they refuse to honor their king. So this is where it's going. But for now, they keep plotting. So the rulers tried to ambush him again. This fulfills a prophecy, which makes it even more tragic because they were warned by God's word. But it also gives us confidence because God is in control. So don't lose heart. Here's a verse that we can share that ties into this. Acts 4, 26 to 28. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed quoting back to the psalms for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant jesus whom you anointed both herod and pontius pilate along with the gentiles and the peoples of israel listen to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place they were warned they could read their old testament the rulers are going to do what to the messiah reject him and kill him oh wait a minute that's us a lot of duh moments in the Old Testament about these rulers. It was very important when the wise men showed up that they went to the, to the palace, right? This is the main big Herod, Herod the Great. Uh, and why didn't God just drive the wise men to Bethlehem? Why didn't he just take them right to the manger, right? Well, First, they had to go to the Word of God. So the scribes were called, they opened up the Bible, they looked at the Old Testament, oh yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, yeah, here's what the Word of God says. So they knew the Word of God was being fulfilled, and still they tried to kill the newborn king. There's a lot that we could unpack here, but I want you to know with confidence that even if there are 40 people who are out to kill you on your way to work tomorrow, God is in total control of the situation. Total control. And I don't know if you wrote out now the thing that you're most struggling with, the thing that's making it hard for you to trust God. You probably don't have a band of suicidal assassins on that list. If you do, you need help, okay? Come up for prayer at the end of the service if you have 40 people who are going to kill you. Okay, Paul's got that. Even that is under the sovereign hand of an almighty God. Now, we could spend forever talking about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, and we went through the book of Romans where we got to drill down on that a lot. But people are tempted when you hear about the sovereignty of God to take away some humanity. Well, if God's that sovereign, he must just be controlling the situation. Nope, they are free to be as wicked as they want. They are freely choosing their wickedness, and God is still sovereign over all of it. You don't have to help God by dehumanizing the situation. Okay, people are being that decisively wicked and God is still in command of the entire situation. Sometimes people also take away some of God's attributes. Well, if he's controlling the situation, he must be a monster because why would he allow these 40 assassins to go unpunished? Don't take away from God's attributes. God can be fully loving and fully fully merciful and allow wicked people to do wicked things. Don't try and help the situation or your understanding of the situation by making people less human or God less God. God is fully God in all of his love and power and wonder and people are fully human in all of their wickedness. And God is still sovereignly commanding every detail of your life. That should prompt you to actively trust him and love him more. Not to passively sit by and wait for the world to change. Do you hear what I'm saying? Your understanding of God's sovereign control of your situation should spur you on to actively love and trust him more and to not worry about anyone is doing around you. Do you trust him? The rulers tried to ambush him again. And it's very important in Luke's writings that we understand the nuance of God's sovereignty over the entire situation. God said, you will represent me in Rome. It's done. But it doesn't seem done. It seems like certain death. And that's why we freak out. So the rulers tried to ambush him. Again, write this down. The new governor had mixed motives. The new governor had mixed motives. Well, they all did. It says asking a favor against Paul. Well, why is this a favor if he's a wicked man and he deserves to die? It's not a favor, it's an inevitability. It's a favor because it's wrong asking a favor, they were planning to ambush him and kill him on the way. Why are you going to kill him on the way? Because they don't have the votes in the Sanhedrin to take him out. We already know that. This is dirty. Festus, verse 4, replied, he was being kept at Caesarea. He himself intended to go there shortly, so he said, let the men of authority come here. Good move. Due process. That could keep him out of trouble, especially if this is an innocent man. And then they brought these serious charges against him. In verse 8, Paul said, Neither against the law, that's Moses of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? All right, this is uh, we don't know what his end game was. We do know that there was at least one assassination plot reported on the way to Jerusalem by uh, Lysias. So It's best to assume that Festus knew he was going back to the lion's den. It's best to assume he's not like, well, let's just go there and figure it all out again. He knew that bad things were happening. Therefore, this is a shady retrial, okay? Why are we going backwards in the legal process? We're not bumping it back to Jerusalem's court. The only reason he would do that, as the text says, is to do a favor that could end and would end Paul's life. So the new governor had mixed motives, Open to manipulation, though not outright crooked. Open to murder or bribery, but hey, let's see what happens in Jerusalem. Paul has to trust God with those in authority over him. We know history, so Festus doesn't know this, but he only has two years to live. Festus will die in office, we don't know how, and then he will stand before the judge, giving an account for his every, every action. It's sobering to realize that while he's maneuvering to try and secure his position and do a favor for these Jews, within two years he'd be dead and he'd be standing before God giving an answer for this. That sobering reality maybe is something you need to hear today. Maybe if you're playing the game, cutting the corners, swerving in the world and trying to get ahead, you don't know how much longer you have. Festus didn't. And his absolute power here would be taken away from him and he would stand before a holy God. So will you. So the new governor had mixed motives. Write this down. Do you trust God to protect you? Do you trust God to protect you? There's a lot here that's leading to Paul's demise. God is sovereignly overseeing all of it. Serious charges, many accusations that they could not prove. I love how Luke here is like a court reporter slash historian. Like, read behind the text here and see that Luke, a Gentile did his homework. How's he getting copies of the court letters here? Like he's there eyewitnessing this stuff, researching it all, writing it down. Okay. Luke's doing a phenomenal job laying out what's happening. Paul, I mean, his case is pretty easy. This is already, he's literally going to be like five trials by the time this is done. They still don't have charges. So he just says, I've done nothing wrong against the law, the temple, the Caesar, nothing. Festus wants to transfer him. Nope. You know very well, verse 10. You've seen the records. Verse 11, I've done nothing wrong. But he's humbly willing to accept if he has done something wrong. So my question is, do you trust God to protect you? God is sovereignly capable of protecting you. He can surround you with an army of 500 soldiers if he needs to. He will protect you when everyone around you is motivated by selfish desires. God is using this governor to protect Paul. When it comes to authority figures in your life, that's one area where you can express how you trust God by submitting to the authorities God has put in place. There are many avenues of appeal when that breaks down in the home, in the workplace, in the church, and in the world. But generally speaking, God wants you to submit to the authority figures around you, even if there are things happening that are wrong and you can't control. Do you trust God to protect you Maybe children, do you trust God to take care of you and do you obey your parents so to not create clamor? Do you trust God to protect you if your boss opposes your faith? Maybe you're in a marriage where your spouse doesn't quite share your spirituality, isn't a believer. Do you trust God with the people around you who are not motivated by godly things? Do you trust him and does that show up in your submission to authority, even when they have mixed motives? That's how we demonstrate we trust God. That's how Paul's demonstrating that he trusts God. God protected Paul in jail. All right, number two, write this down. God protected Paul on trial. In jail and on trial, God protected Paul. Let's zero in on the trial here. So the trial was dirty. It was, it was uh, crooked. It was broken. They had already done this before, and they're doing it again. So it was a trial in which God was protecting Paul. He's already been formally declared innocent. He's already been held two years without charges that are criminal, certainly not worthy of as a capital crime. This all smells funny, but Festus can't convict him, and yet he can't release him. Therefore, it's a perfect divine protection. Can't convict him. Don't have the charges. Can't release him. I kind of know about a setup to kill him. Uh Uh-oh. God is putting these powerful people right in his own vice. And therefore, Paul is protected. God protected Paul on trial. Now, this is serious. Um, Caesar is mentioned eight times, okay, in this chapter. This is capital offenses punishable by death. This is dead serious. And yet it's a total joke that they keep trying to accuse him because he's not guilty. So there's a plot. He's already been declared not guilty. Felix held him longer than he was supposed to. So did you write this down? They brought false charges in a crooked manner. They brought false charges in a crooked manner. He had already been through the Supreme Court in Israel, and now he's on his way to the Supreme Court of Rome, and they don't even have charges to write down. Let's zero in on that unique burden for a little while. Um, Have you or are you right now facing false accusations? People are saying things that are untrue about you. You're being accused of things you didn't even do, saying things you didn't even say, or maybe just cast in the light of you're that kind of a person and it's not you. That's really frustrating and can generate a lot of anger, can generate a lot of anxiety, because you can't control what the people around you are saying, especially when it's slander or gossip and you're not around to hear it. But you just kind of know when people are treating you differently that maybe they've heard some things about you and now they're listening to it and they're not asking you about it. They're just treating you differently because of it. Maybe that's your burden right now. False charges were brought in a crooked manner against Paul and he had to demonstrate his integrity while God protected him on trial. We also notice here in this trial that they still haven't brought the people who are accusing him of these things from Ephesus. And I noted this last week. When you're on trial and it's like, okay, produce your witnesses. And they're like, you know what? We thought we just wouldn't bring them. Something, something funky's going on. Wait, you didn't bring the witnesses? No, we didn't bring them. What do you mean you didn't bring the witnesses? Yeah, we thought things would go better without them. Oh, that's an indication that some dirty things are going on. Am I right? You don't want the witnesses here? It's because if you start following the case law of what happened around the empire, they kept founding Paul and the Christians not guilty of anything criminal, anything irreverent. So they don't want the witnesses to come because it'll make them look worse. That's how crooked things are. Hey, is that your burden right now? Do you have to trust God with what other people are accusing you of? Do you have to trust God with what other people are saying about you, the light they're casting you in when you can't get out there and be like, I'm going to set all this straight right now. Are you trusting God with your integrity and your reputation? I I feel like that when you're falsely accused, it kind of feels like, you know, at the car shops where they bring the car up on the lift, and then they get in there and they start looking for things that are wrong, right? You feel like you're kind of exposed when people are criticizing you and accusing you. And if you go to the auto zone, you know, they can put the code reader into your car. Have you ever done that? They'll do it for free because they want to sell you the parts, right? But they put the code reader in, they pull the codes off the computer. I found out, great last minute Christmas gift if you're still shopping. But for 20 bucks, you can buy your own code, code reader on Amazon. So mine just came yesterday. It was like awesome. I went out there and I went into my car because the check engine light was on. I'm like, bloop. And it like, and it actually told me nothing was wrong. So I'm like, knock it off. You're fine. We'll get you an oil change next week. We had to talk, all right. Now I want you to remember this because you're going to have times in life where you are you are up on the lift and people are looking for things wrong with you. And Paul's going to model for us what it means to be humble. Paul's like, look, if I've done anything wrong, I'm ready to answer for it. Pull the codes. And you might need to be ready to say, pull the codes. Tell me, what, tell me what's wrong. I'm ready to hear it. You might need to have the humility to say that. But look, I, you know, it could also be where like, you know, it comes back to you need an oil change. You know, and yet people around you are like, no, it's a wreck. Take it to the junkyard. And you're like, that's not what the code said. And they don't care. You're going to have to deal with what Paul has dealt with here. When people don't care what the truth is, And they're just gonna say things that are wrong about you. Are you prepared to be up on the lift and to endure false accusations? What an example we have here in the Apostle Paul. Two years he's still being held, no charges. Shouldn't he be freaking out, right? Like the best parts of the Christmas movies are when the people freak out. Am I right, Chevy Chase? Freaking out, right? Plane trains, and automobiles, Steve Martin freaking out. Those are like the best parts of the Christmas movies when people just lose it. That's what should be happening here. I've been here for two years and you got no charter. Then who do you think you are? <sighs> look at his composure. Do you know how he's doing it? He's trusting God. Do you know how you're going to do it? You're going to trust God. He says here, look, I've done nothing wrong. Verse 11, if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. He's very humble. He's willing, if he's done anything wrong, to to go on and face them. So they brought false charges in a crooked manner. Write this down. Paul acted with great integrity and faith. You and I, we have to act with great integrity and faith, too. Verse 11: If I'm a wrongdoer and I've committed anything for which I deserve to die, I don't don't seek to escape death. Look, if there's something to this, I want to hear it. What what did David test me, O Lord? Examine my heart and mind. If there's anything offensive in me, show it to me. He's open, but this is like trial four, and they got nothing. Paul acted with great integrity and faith. He was innocent. He was compliant with the Old Testament. He was rational operating within the law. He's innocent. He has witnesses. He came to town bringing a giant offering for the poor, and they tried to kill him. So you and I, we must speak and act in an upright manner while we're waiting for justice. How are you doing with this? How have you done with this in the past when you are falsely accused, when you're cast in a negative light, when you have to wait for God to settle it all, to sort through it? What if it happens this week, what if, what if you have to wait this week a minute before you get to tell your side of the story? And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. what if you have to wait a week? What if you have to wait a month before people figure out the truth? What if you have to wait years? Are you ready for that? Will you witness with integrity when you're treated unfairly? You can jot that down. Will you witness with integrity when you're treated unfairly? It feels tedious to trust God and it might feel like forever as you wait. But get this, the broken process can actually protect you. This broken process was protecting Paul, keeping him right where he needed to be. And in addition, it will give you a lengthy opportunity when all these eyes are on you to show off your love for your Savior. When you trust God, when you're treated unfairly, the gospel is on trial around you too. And you're showing people Just how trustworthy Christ is. That's the bigger picture. Why wouldn't I just call that person up and tell them off? Well, the gospel's on trial, and if you blow it, people around you are going to be like, see, she's just like everyone else. The gospel is on trial in your life. Others are making judgments about Jesus by your conduct in such a crucible. So will you witness with integrity when treated unfairly? We're learning a lot about trusting God here. God protected Paul in jail. The rulers tried to ambush him again. The new governor had mixed motives. Do you trust God to protect you? God protected Paul on trial. They brought false charges in a crooked manner. Paul acted with great integrity and faith. Old Testament, New Testament compliance. Will you witness with integrity when treated unfairly? He appealed to Caesar... This was not wrong. This was not an impulse. Some people misinterpret this because it says next week, well, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have let him go. Paul was not making a mistake. He realized the legal process was going in reverse, and he realized that that was going to end his life. As a Roman citizen, he had every right to keep going up the chain of command. He exercised his right, and he knew that God wanted him in Rome. This is all legitimate. So he appealed to Caesar. Which is leading to the main thing here. When you trust God, God will use you to share your faith with others. Write this down, number three. God used Paul to proclaim the gospel to many. God used Paul to proclaim the gospel to many. So look at verse 13. To Caesar you will go. Verse 13. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa, that's King Agrippa, the king and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against, uh, against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face. You see how that's backfiring on them? They won't bring the Ephesians to the courtroom, and therefore it's backfiring on them. He hasn't, he hasn't met them face to face. And they didn't want to come to Caesarea and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in this case of such evils as I supposed he must be a real monster. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked, I just love the, like the look on Festus's face as the trial's unfolding. He's just like this. <laughs> what is happening? He said he was like this axe murderer, and now he believes the dead guy's alive, and he's like, <laughs> so now he's talking to the king. Uh, Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all, can you picture this? This is like, this is like show trial city with all the rich and powerful and famous people in the city. This is the capital of the whole country. So imagine the outfits. Some of you like to watch the king and queen shows, uh, BBC, you know, The Crown. How many of you like to watch The Crown? So you know royalty is in the room. You know what that's all like. This is like really, really high class, And then it says, Agrippa Bernice came in, commanded Festus, Paul was brought in. Verse 24, Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. (laughs) It's one of the most vindicating things that can happen. It's like let's write down all of the serious accusations against this person that we can think of. Do we got them? There must be something. This is what they have on Paul. How embarrassing. <laughs> He's going to the Caesar with no accusations. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I've brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we've examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to be unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to include the charges against him, you think? All right, so let's unpack this. God used Paul to proclaim the gospel to many. He's still in grave danger because this is King Herod Agrippa II. Ah! Herod Agrippa Jr. is now his judge. And his sister Bernice is right there. Last, here, so here's a picture. I've, I updated and revised my Herod Crime Family slide for you because I knew so many of you liked this last week. So let's let's talk through it here. Here's Herod the Great, very wicked great-grandpa who tried to kill Christmas. He killed all the children in Bethlehem. That's him here with his ten wives. Okay. It was safer to be Herod's pig than it was, or his dog than it was his son. Killed his one of his wives and killed. All of their grandpa, okay, and two of his brothers, killed three of his sons. Uh, real wicked Herod family, okay? But they managed to have Herod Agrippa I here before that happened. Now, this, uh, a few chapters ago in Acts, Herod Agrippa I killed the apostle James. So God ordered an angel to kill him. He was eaten by worms, Josephus says, over a one-week period. Really gross way to die. And he was executed by God. This Herod Agrippa, continuing the wicked crime family, um, his brother was was uh, Bernice and Herod Agrippa the uncle Antipas and Aunt Herodias with cousin Sal half cousin Salome. They killed John the Baptist. they were part of killing Jesus. Oh my goodness, this is a wicked family now we 're dealing with the kids or the grandkids, and you 've got herod Agrippa the second that 's the one who's now sitting on the throne over paul Herod Agrippa jr he probably has some weirdo relationship with his sister Bernice they don't confirm that but the historians are pretty sure about it Drusilla and Felix were here last week remember Felix was the governor now this is Festus right here thankfully Festus didn't marry into this crime family but he's got to deal with them so Festus brings Herod Agrippa II and Bernice in they are now presiding over Paul's trial how would you feel if that's your judge is he out of trouble yet No, he is not. I don't know about you, but if God killed my judge's dad, I'd feel like I'm in trouble. He might have to settle the score here. They've got to keep the family happy. They've got to keep the Romans happy. Really, if they were just acting in line with their character, Paul would be a dead man. Let's just get this guy. He's he's a rebel in the empire. So many people said it. We could probably get a bribe out of this situation. Which is why last week, when they first came to town, it was like, we don't want to trouble you with this matter for long. Let's have this over by lunch. They really thought it would be a quick judge-jury execution. So, Herod Jr. was 17 when God killed his dad for acting like the messianic king in Acts 12 and for killing the apostle James and trying to kill Peter. Herod Jr. ruled some smaller areas because he was only 17, until he turned 21, then he became king. Bernice is his little sis, one year younger. She's also great. She and her sister were legendary beauty. So write this down. King Agrippa and Bernice were Herods. And Paul was proclaiming the gospel to them. To them. Bernice was so beautiful, she would almost marry Emperor Titus in the future. So she was drop-dead gorgeous, like her sister. King Agrippa and Bernice, being Herods, were alarmed and intrigued in trying to piece this whole thing together. I want to hear the man. We learned last week that Felix was well-acquainted with the way. God killed your father-in-law. You better be well-acquainted with the way. And now you've got one of his apostles, and you're the one who can kill him? They were very aware of what's going on. I mean, you know... Wicked great-grandpa tried to kill Christmas. They were very aware of what's going on. And the grandkids are the ones who are piecing it all together and not just lunging with the sword here. So Agrippa and Bernice were Herods, and God was still putting a witness in front of them. Paul's going to talk to King Agrippa next week like he knows something. He's really going to boldly ask him to become a Christian on the spot or actually to declare that he's become a Christian. It's going to be so bold... And Paul was talking um, with the the family members, Drusilla and Felix, for two years. So he kind of knows the family. He knows something. We don't know exactly what that means. Usually when the scripture leaves it open and we don't know a person's spiritual condition, it's meant to just keep us all in this sense of uncertainty. And it's meant for us to say, "Have have we nailed it down? These people are in the valley of decision. But King Agrippa and Bernice were Herods and they were on God's hit list and that shows the matchless love of Christ. The gospel is being proclaimed to them? The angel hasn't killed them? God is using Paul to proclaim the gospel to many. Write this down. All the rich and the powerful people came to hear Paul's story. All the rich and the powerful people came to hear Paul's story. Your story is powerful and God wants you to share it with people high and low. You know, we've got findgodagain.com we launched as our outreach website this year. And we're putting people's stories on that website and on the Facebook page. So a couple weeks ago, we put Al Matulas' story on the Facebook page because it's a Christmas story. And it's got 4,500 people have watched it. 4,500 people have watched Al Matulas' testimony because in the digital age, you can really get it out there. Check it out. I'm going to give you a little taste of Al's story.
1: Okay, Hello. My name is Algis Motoris, but you can call me Al, and I have a Christmas story to tell. When I was growing up as a little kid in England, I don't remember anything about Christmas. Only when I came here as a 10-year-old in the States did my memories from Christmas come, and they were not pleasant. I was a Scrooge. I didn't like Christmas. Well, on Christmas Day, 1979 I got a phone call from my brother I heard the phone ring when I picked up the phone I didn't hear anything and uh, I didn't pay any attention to it so I went to Christmas dinner it was great I went to bed Christmas night and I wake up the day after Christmas 3 o'clock the whole world is spinning I'm in misery what happened And the Bolingbroke ambulance came like that, it was amazing. I'm in the hospital. I'm thinking, season's greetings. See, I was right being a Scrooge. All right, you can go back to that other note slide. If you want to watch the rest of the video,
0: uh, you're going to have to go on the Facebook page, findgodagain.com, if you want to watch the rest of the video. But 4,500 people have watched Al's story about going deaf on Christmas and being angry with God you have a story to share. Maybe you'll never be in front of the rich and powerful people. Maybe you will. But there are people around you who need to hear your story. Paul is showing us what it means to be a bold witness for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in front of King Agrippa and his queen wife Bernice. All the rich and the powerful people came to hear Paul's story. So write this down. Do you believe the good news that Jesus is the risen Lord? We're pausing the trial here. It's a very pregnant pause. Right before Paul speaks, in front of all of these royals, we're pausing. And next week's sermon will go through the trial. But I want you, just as Festus is in that, I don't know how to make a judgment about this Jesus who was dead being alive. I want you to seat yourself in that courtroom right now. And I want you to make a decision on Paul testifying that he has seen the risen Lord. Do you believe that? That the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Paul, a murderer of Christians, and drove him to his knees to get baptized and made him an apostle traveling over the whole world telling everybody about Jesus. There you are, sitting in the courtroom, hearing this testimony. Do you believe it? Do you believe the good news that Jesus is the risen Lord? Are you ready to trust Jesus to save you from judgment? Felix kicked the can down the road two years, and we have no indication that he became a Christian. Now King Herod is hearing the truth, and he's so close. He's almost there, but not quite. Have you truly, obviously, publicly announced that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? I want you to have a chance to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord today, right now. So we're going to close our eyes. We're going to bow our heads. And we are going to have a chance right now to respond to what we heard. What we're going to do right now is nothing magical or mystical, I'm going to give you a chance to just talk to God. I want you to just talk to God about the amazing things that you heard about Jesus Christ and the gospel witness that you saw in the Apostle Paul. It's very simple. Jesus Christ came into the world from heaven, born of a virgin. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again in glory. In front of hundreds of witnesses, he ascended to the right hand of the Most High. He now rules heaven and earth, and he's the only one who can save you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you believe that in your own heart, you can pray this. Jesus, I believe. I behold you as risen Lord. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my worldly life. I ask you to save me from all of my sins, to wash me within, to make me a child of God. If you prayed that, the Lord will save you. He will fill you with his spirit and clothe you with his righteousness. He will make you a child of God and he will prepare a place for you in paradise because he is the risen Lord. And ask the risen Lord to use your story as you boldly proclaim what he's done in your life, first through baptism, but then to anybody who will listen, ask for him to give you courage to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And if you're struggling to trust God right now, if you're struggling To know that he's got you. Take heart. Think of everything that was stacked against Paul. It was certain death. And God saved him again. Oh Lord, I pray for anyone struggling to trust you right now. May they say, God, I know you have me. I know it. Jesus, I know you're in total control. I believe it. I will trust you patiently and I will believe you fully. Fill me with faith. Empty me of fear. And Lord, we pray all of these.